Okay. Um, I just want to mention a, a, a word. Uh, I'm just going to take a few minutes because then we're going to, uh, in a bit, hear from and then Mike. Uh, I was kind of minding my own business, uh, reading, just reading through, happened to be the book of Peter. And uh, I had one of those occasions when I read something and it kind of went wallop and kind of really hit me. And it was, uh, in Peter, it said, God waited for Noah. Now, I'm very conscious of this business of waiting for God and waiting on God. But I kind of never seen that like that before, that God waited for Noah. And it started me thinking, so Lord, what, what are you waiting for? Now, I don't want to take the time to go into the whole thing this morning. Um, but this is the conclusion that, that we were coming to, that there are certain requirements that God is looking for. For example, when brethren dwell together in unity, God commands a blessing. <coughs> and I began to think, in the goodness of God, we haven't arrived, but God has taught us for many years about loving one another and dealing with any things that come up that kind of interrupt that flow of relationships. So we don't, we don't have fallings out, we don't have gossip, we don't have things like that. that. That has to be dealt with. So we're looking to move to a greater place, but there is something that we have uh, been fulfilling what God has set as a, a requirement. And then, of course, we recognize that he's a God who deals in the issue of vision. In fact, the Bible tells us that he does nothing, but that he first reveals it to his servants, the prophets. So the prophets see it so that there's a vision, so there's an ability to see something beyond where we are before we ever get there. That's why at this time, I think God is taking us so, uh, so clearly. And in coming days... Uh, we'll spell out more and more what we sense God is saying in terms of vision. It's something that's really important. But I want to just, for these couple of moments, bring it back. Because when you begin to think about God waiting on us, and that in the goodness of God, he's enabled us to fulfil some of the things which he waits for as qualifications, like I've just said. Then you come to this in Thessalonians. And Paul prays, by his power, that he may fulfill every good purpose of yours. I'm thinking, wow. This is a God who is such a humble God that he will even, as we wait upon him, fulfill the very purposes that we have. And that as we commit our way to him, he will cause a fulfillment of his plans and purposes. Which leads us to the fact, and some of us not too comfortable with this, but it's a biblical truth, sometimes, according to Isaiah 30, you hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, 
walk in it. Well, the voice behind you can only take place when you've already moved ahead. If you spoke to me now, I can hear a voice in front of me. If I walked out the door and you said something, I would be hearing a voice behind me. So God looks for a people who will, in, the, in his power and goodness and graciousness, see that fear and trepidation and intimidation and timidity is not the place to dwell. That we can actually, with a sense of boldness and expectation, walk in the will and the plan of God. And God waits, even as he waited for Noah, for a people that will hear him and step out. Of course, he requires faith. And actually, without faith, it's impossible, we know, to please God. I think that we've used a description of ourselves which kind of fits this. And it's like we're not super confident, but we seem to stumble into the will of God. We seem to somehow be led by him, by a dependency upon him, to come in to his purpose. Matthew 9 tells us this, let it be according to your faith. And in the same way, as God in the past has raised up champions who has determined that the shape of what we do should be determined by the faith of individuals, God is doing it. We'll hear more about that in coming times. God is putting faith to move in a variety of ways and we're going to have the joy and the privilege of being part of that and getting behind of that. So I'm prescribing a bright future. I'm not announcing an appointment with the dentist early in the morning. <laughs> a bright future for a people who recognise, you know, God could be waiting for us to step out the very thing that he's saying and doing. Maybe it's to get behind somebody. Maybe it's to be that person who God is raising up. And we'll see how these things develop in a very intriguing way in the coming near future. Good morning, everybody. It's a distinct privilege to be with you. Morning, Alan, Vivian. Uh, really, it is a, it's a real privilege to be with you, and it was um, quite supernatural in the way that God, two years ago, warned us and encouraged us that we would be coming to London. And a couple of months after that amazing supernatural experience that we had, John contacted me after 35 years or so. And I must say that um, when we began to pioneer certain things in what became known as the house church movement back in the late 60s and 70s, this man was my bestest friend. He was so loyal and he had this ability <clears throat> to calm me down. I would be like stressed, my hair which was wavy then and the tide went out 
it, he would come and just calm things down. He says, okay, Mike, I've got it all in control. And uh, I don't know whether it was Dawn's calming influence on him. It was, she says. But he, was, uh, he had this, this great quality of loyalty to me, and we just flowed together. And I so appreciated, I so appreciated that. And then, so when we then met, after a huge gap, for various reasons, an imposed gap, a man-imposed gap, it was like, like that again. It was very beautiful. And so, um, we, in coming to the church, I, I've been quite overwhelmed, actually. Deeply humbled, but more the emotion of being overwhelmed and excited. Because what you've managed to do is you've created a community of lovers. You sense, you feel it. I don't know if you realize what, what you've got here, but this is unusual. I don't know of a local church, not that I'm any expert, but I don't know of a local church that as a community has affected its own community in the way that you are doing. Do, do you realize what you've got here? I hope you don't grumble because you really have, some, you really have something quite unique. I mean, somehow you have empowered and honored people to champion and be champions of what God has put in them in their hearts. It's quite amazing. And it's rather like the parable of the yeast. Do you remember that Jesus gave? He said, this woman came and she hid, almost surreptitiously, she hid a little yeast into the whole dough. You know when the yeast really works effectively is when you turn up the heat. Imagine God coming with fire upon you as a community and the, the yeast of his kingdom that's in you and all that you're doing is suddenly breathed upon by God and there's fire. <laughs> and the whole, the whole of Ilford is suddenly yeastified. I don't know if that's a word, but I use it a lot in Scrabble. The whole, of, the, whole of the, the whole of this surrounding area suddenly becomes on fire and the yeast goes through the whole lump. It's what we would call revival. In the weekend that we just spent together, I felt in the worship time and the singing in tongues, there was a spirit of revival amongst you. Again, I'm no expert, but I love to rub shoulders with revivalists. And I sensed, even this morning, you know that one we were singing, All Praise, that one there, and we started to clap fast. Ooh, I felt, I felt like, I don't know whether I was fantasizing or imagining it, but I felt like there were angels crowding in. I felt like there was a host of witnesses saying, Yeah, go on, I like this. I felt the spirit of revival on you. But in the Welsh revival, there was a, a man who was apprehended for stealing or some something was brought into court and the, the judge and all the jury had been saved in the revival. They were all Christians. And this man come in and the presence of God came into the courtroom, so I read, and he fell on his knees before he was even charged. He said, I'm guilty, I'm guilty, I'm guilty, have mercy, oh God! And he cried out to God with tears. 
And the judge and the jury lifted up their, hand, their hands and they started singing in tongues and worshipping God in the courtroom. Have you ever heard of such a thing? That's what God said to Habakkuk, the young prophet, who was inquiring about revival. He said, if you, you're going to hear something you've never heard. Your eyes are going to see something you've never seen before. Wouldn't you like that? How does it come? It seems, from what I've read, of all revivals are preceded by a spirit of prayer. Oh, God is saying, I will be sought for this. That's in my heart and longing to do. But there's something that triggers. There's something that lifts the gate. There's something that opens the shutters. And that is prayer. To my bride of 50 years. I know I don't look old enough to have a bride of 50 years. But here she is. This is Penelope. <laughs> and uh, we, we celebrated 50 years of marriage last year. So do you want to say anything? Yes, okay. It would be a miracle if she didn't want to say anything. <laughs> Sorry, I just put a sweet in my mouth. But excuse me. But um, that doesn't stop me speaking. No. So um, I just want to say thank you. Thank you especially to John and Dawn for putting up with us and all our little foibles and the other, other people in the family who have really shown us so much love. We, I just want to thank everybody for the love that they've shown us, um, for the kindness, for the embracing of us. It's been a wonderful time and we've really enjoyed it. And um, especially, I have to say, at the weekend and then today, one of the biggest things I've enjoyed has been that part being part of the worship. Mm. Really love the worship. Um, I haven't heard worship like that for a long time. It's, it's been very beautiful, very, um, it's very, very inspiring. So just endorse what you say about the revival. Thank you. Thank you. So <laughs> when we got married, it seemed like yesterday, she was a little late as is her wont. And she comes and suddenly I'm waiting. I'm not anxious, but I'm excited. And I'm waiting and I'm, oh, I was facing down the aisle and suddenly the grand march to Aida strikes up. Dun, da -da -dun, da -da -dun, and there she is. And I totally lost it. I'm, rah, 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 rah. I look, I see this woman. I can't believe it. And she's all mine. And here's something that actually happened. As she came down the aisle, her eyes were fixed on me. All the way down. Smiling eyes. Loving eyes. She didn't come down the aisle and greet her friends, say, how you doing? Like my dress. <laughs> Don't I look neat? She went straight for me, straight down, gazing at me, gazing at me. Twice in that prophetic book of the Song of Songs, you get this little phrase in chapter 5 and verse 2, and again in 2 and verse 8, you get, You are beautiful, my love. You have dove's eyes. Dove's eyes. And you may know that the dove has no peripheral vision. 
it can only look in one direction. The more that you do outwardly, the greater need we have for upwardly. I want to read with us this morning an amazing story. It's amazing because of what Jesus says about the woman who came to him. It's very familiar. Just pop it up on the screen and we'll read it together. comes in Mark 14, verse 2. While Jesus was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of a man known Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster box, an alabaster jar, a very expensive perfume. Ladies interested in this story? It was made of pure nard, and she broke the jar and poured the perfume. Some of those present were saying indignantly, indignantly, were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste perfume? It's been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. They rebuked her harshly. Imagine the effect on Jesus. Never alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. I'm with you always. You can help them at any time you want, but you'll not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Tell you the truth, as if he could say anything else. Tell you the truth. Wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. I am provoked by Jesus' directive that wherever the gospel will be preached in all the world, this story will be in the middle. Isn't that interesting? I find that very provocative that the DNA of the gospel, the central thing of the gospel is a people who worship extravagantly and give beyond to Jesus. With all your wonderful doing and with all your extravagant investment of time and talent and energy into this community, there is one thing that is the main thing and we must keep the main thing the main thing. It's about the worship of Jesus vertically so that you would be empowered increasingly horizontally. Is that right? But it's the most contended thing in my life, I find. Since I've been a believer at the age of 12, now knocking on the door of 50 or so, I found the thing I've had to contend for most of all is that is and listen to and love Jesus on my own. So it's not just the apostles and the leaders, and the religious people in that room around this woman, and subsequently since then, it's not just these anointed leaders and apostles and missionaries who shape history, it's little Marys 
We never hear about her healing anybody. Never hear about her preaching the gospel. Hear about her as a token of this main thing to worship Jesus. Isn't it awesome? You glad for Mary? I mean, one day you're going to sit and talk to her. There's going to be everlasting life, so we'll have time. There'll be plenty of. I mean, I think there'll be a long line to talk to Mary. No, I'm serious. I don't know if she'll come to Ilford, but she could to come on your church brochure, which is quite brilliant. Very so beautifully written. But the founder and the chair, John Singleton, writes. God has called us first to be before we do. So we're human beings before we're human doings. In fact, the empowerment of our doing is because of the shaping of our being. Why, why then did Jesus tell us the first commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, it's your emotions, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength, your strength, that's your finances, <laughs> and your energy. Why, why, why did he say, put, this is the first commandment, and it comes before the second commandment, because first is first, and second is second. But if you put the second in place of the first, you put the first in the place of the second, and you lose both. Regret, and I confess to you, I, I feel that there have been times in my Christian life when I've given so much energy into the doing, I've neglected the being. Because I like to fix things, and I like to do things. And we do that because you can get a lot of good feedback and satisfaction for seeing change and for contributing to certain things. And you say, well, I did that. Well, through the power of God, of course. Jesus helped me, but I did that. And so you get, you get good vibes back, and you feel good about yourself, and you've ticked off your list. And there's nothing wrong with that, provided we recognize we're weak and broken people. And as the Bible says, without him, I can do nothing that's enduring. Nothing that will go through the wood, hay, stubble, fire test at the end of this age. I am motivated by reward. The world has stolen that energetic enticement to give. At the end of the story, which began in a garden and ends in a garden, the story of divine romance, the, the church is described as many things. It's described as an army. It's described as a vine. It's described as a body. But the main, but not the only characteristic of the church in the end time before he comes is a bride. The romantic story of the Bible all the way through the books is a people who are loved and who are loving. The greatest human longing of the heart is to love and to be loved without shame. I, I think that the Song of Songs has turned me upside down. I've studied it for many years, and it, you know, it's not a very manly book, to be honest. Flowers, perfume, sitting under an apple tree, <laughs> dates. I like dates. But I, I tell you what, it's wrecked my life. See, I was, I was a paratrooper, 180 pounds of romping, stomping, airborne hell, something like that. Manhood is like Jesus. He's our model.
I believe the Song of Songs is the end-time prophetic book for the church. Hear a commentary and read Song of Songs, and it will wreck your life if you've never done that. And so, there's a little scripture in Song of Songs. It says, she says to the virgins in Jerusalem, she says, Have you seen my beloved? I'm lovesick. When I was falling in love with Penny, I remember going home to my mum, and uh, my mum is an excellent cook. You may think your mum's the best cook in the world, but I'm telling you, my mum was the best cook in the world, for me. <laughs> and as a soldier, I learned to eat my food very quickly, because you didn't have much time to eat food. Sergeant Major was breathing down your neck, and so you could, I could actually consume quite a large plate of food in about 14 seconds. It was like, let's go. And I'm sitting at mum's one time, I remember, and I've, I'm falling in love with Penny. And I'm, I'm like picking on my food. She says, what's wrong with you? Are you ill? Are you sick? Oh, yes, you're lovesick. Imagine finding fasting easy because <laughs> you're lovesick. And my mum said to me, she said, I can't wait to meet her. You see, when you're lovesick, you don't need any programmed evangelism. So what's wrong with you? You're always so happy. You've got that gaze in your eye. You don't seem troubled. You don't get anxious like other people. I'm in love. I remember in the barracks, I'm, I'm phoning Penny. She's a nurse up in St. Thomas's and... I'm on the phone, you know, the, how many of you remember that phone where you put your finger and it went around like that? <laughs> you remember that phone? <laughs> and there's, there's a line of soldiers waiting to come in and use the phone. And I'm just like, really? Oh, is that you? And they're banging on the phone. I can't hear them. I'm not troubled. I'm not threatened. I'm not afraid. I'm lovesick. It's the power. It's the DNA inside the gospel of the kingdom. In Song of Songs, she says, I'm, I'm drunk with love. Now, you seem drunks, and I'm not advocating any kind of drunkenness except in the spirit. Have you ever been drunk? You love everybody. You even love the lamppost. <laughs> oh, you're so beautiful. <laughs> I remember being in a leaders' meeting at a time when there was a, a veil was thinly rent and there was, a, there was a sense of awakening amongst us. And we were in this meeting and the Spirit of God fell upon us corporately. I mean, it was wonderful the other evening with the young people. The Spirit of God moved in an unusual way and they began to fall on the floor, some of them, and laugh hysterically and there was crying and there was some shaking. It was very beautiful. It was so refreshing to be amongst them.
But in this meeting, there was a, there was a corporate coming of God. It was like, like that. And we went on and on and on, and I was just drunk. I was just effused. And it was so pleasant. And eventually I got up and I, I went to the dining hall and sat down. And we were all laughing and loving one another. Imagine that amongst leaders, Christian leaders. <laughs> Church Christian leaders. And the waitress came and she said, can I get you some food? I burst into tears. She said, it's not that bad. <laughs> it actually happened. Wouldn't you like to have that? You know what? Your faithfulness in this church. I walked around as you were worshipping. I saw some older ones, their eyes closed, ignoring the children. Worshipping, worshipping. Not for a minute, and then look around and then check their phone. Steadfastly. That is going to cause a magnet. It's a magnet pulling God to you. I would not be surprised. I would be very thrilled. And you would certainly get on the first plane back from Nigeria. When you hear in the local... <laughs> I'm prophesying to you, my brother. <laughs> Except for your daughter. She's got a destiny in that land. But when you, if I heard something's happened in Ilford in Dagenham, something unusual is happening. There is a fire. People are falling down in the streets. Muslims are grabbing hands with one another and singing songs about Jesus, dancing in the street. The traffic has stopped. The police are doing crowd control. <laughs> This meeting never stops except to clean the hall once a week. That happens. That's part of our history. That happened in Argentina. I was in Argentina where there was an awakening. The people, churches were going from 24 to 2,400 in a matter of months. The meetings went on and on and on. And they had to close the meetings to clean the hall. I don't know what people did about going to work. But actually, when they went to work, it spilled out again. You couldn't stop it. It was contagious. This is, this is not something fanciful. This is our history, and it will come again, but in greater measure, because restoration always means more. It's back to what God originally intended, plus. And... Joel 2 tells us that there's coming a day when God will pour out his spirit upon all flesh and your sons and daughters will prophesy. That puts paid to women's ministry being banished from the church, doesn't it? Right there, you've solved. Your, your maidens will prophesy. You say, well, that was, that was fulfilled in Acts 2. Partially in Jerusalem, but he said, upon all flesh. What will it look like when God fulfills Joel 2 and he pours out his spirit upon all flesh, every village, every town, every city across the whole globe, impregnated by the saturating coming of the spirit at a moment in time? My goodness. You don't have to worry about, oh, I'm not a house group leader. You're going to have 6,000 people in your church overnight. 
What kind of people, therefore, should we be preparing ourselves? You say, oh, well, you know, they've been saying this for years. But it will happen. And if I'm not here, I'll, I'll be up with those Hebrews guys. <laughs> yeah, I told you. Sorry to get so excited. It should be more problem. <laughs> well, just to finish off our text. There are three things that grab me out of this little passage that we read. The first one is, it said she came and she washed Jesus' feet with her tears. Imagine how much she must have cried to produce enough water to wash his feet with her tears. I was once in Israel and I picked up a little tear bottle. I went into this little shop and I said, what's that? It was very fragile, about two inches high, with little um, handles on either side. It was pink and white. And I said, what's that? He said, that's a tear bottle. I said, what's that for? He says, to catch your tears. Evidently, in Jewish custom, when someone would die, they'd get a piece of lint, you know, like what we would call a handkerchief, they'd dab their eyes, and, and then they would squeeze out the tears into the bottle. Or they'd actually put the bottle up to the eye and catch the tears. Because, because those tears in that little bottle represented the love and the memory of the loved one that they'd just lost. And they put it on their shelf with a little cork on the top. They say, that's Auntie, Mim that's Auntie Mima in there. Or what she did was she took her tear bottle. Tears, not just of pain or memory that we have, but tears of joy. Tears of relief. I was just reading about this mountaineer that's just been pulled off K2 last night. The man died, but the woman lived. When they brought her back down, there were tears of relief. Tears of joy this last year, who's 43, finally got married. <laughs> what a joy. She kept herself all these years. And I got to walk her down the aisle, just holding it together. But inside, I'm weeping. <laughs> oh, God. Not because we wanted to get her out of the house, but because <laughs> I'm just so enraptured with gratitude. And then I get, I get, she asked me then to, to marry her to her husband. So I walk her down the aisle and then I change places. <laughs> what a privilege, what an honor. What a blessing. Tears, I can't tell you how many tears, I'm still crying the tears. She takes all of the pain, the joy, the relief that's captured through tears and she pours her tear bottle on the feet of Jesus. She's saying, all of my past, your faithfulness. All of my past, your love. All of my past with its pain. I'm bringing my past and I'm pouring it out on you. David had the same experience. He said this, you catch my tears in your bottle and you write them in your book. God has a tear bottle. Because you're so precious to him. We don't understand how precious we are to him. For if we did, we couldn't ever be unhappy again. We could never feel devalued again. We could never feel that I'm a failure or I'm a waste or I'm no good or I've sinned. 
and I haven't recovered. We get rid of all our stuff. If only we could get a greater revelation of this God who loves so deeply and who gave so freely. David says, you catch my tears in your bottle and you write them in your book. Well, now, if you get a, a little bit of water and I, 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 uh, I pour it on my notes here, which mean nothing, it would blur the page. What God is able to do is he's able to take our tears and extract the sentiment, the chemistry, the message, the pain, the hurt, the joy, the longing. Have you ever, have you ever cried tears of longing? Fear pants after the water brooks. So my soul longs for you, O oh God. What are tears of longing? And he can pull out the message inside the tear, and it's so precious to him that he writes it in a book. You know, when you get into this next age, you're going to have a book. He's going to open it and say, here, here's your book. You know, like that guy on TV, you remember who used to come, this is your life. And in it are precious things that, that you are unaware of. Tears of mercy. Tears when you were moved about that child. I saw this little boy this morning. He was there and he was singing that song, All Praise. But he, he wasn't really singing it. He was just like muttering it. He suddenly looked across to me and I winked at him. And this lovely smile came all over his face. I was moved. Your attitude towards children discloses very much your heart. And then she brings the alabaster box. A year's wages, so the religious in the room said, provoking indignation. See, the day is coming when the extravagance of our worship to God is going to provoke anger in those that don't know him, in those that don't experience him. I remember getting extravagant when I was just a young boy about God. And this man said to me, you're too young to get like that. When you grow up, you'll find out the truth. Well, then when I grew up, now I'm too old. Have you ever felt, you know, when somebody's really, really enthusiastic and you sit there wisely, mm, uh, yeah, well, you'll find out. I used to go, whenever I could go to a, a man of God and sit with him, an older man, and say, well, what, could you tell me what are some of the keys? Can you help me? I remember going to this man one time and he said, oh, he said, I've seen it all. And inside myself, I said, really? You've seen it all? Goodness me, God, don't let me ever be like that old crab. I feel like the older I get, the less I've seen. And the more I want to see. I want to see him come. <laughs> And so she takes this alabaster box of perfume and she pours it all on Jesus extravagantly. And Jesus, notice this, he said, she did what she could, she poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. It was a prophetic unction, it was a prophetic sign. And our worship and our ointment this fragrance, this incense, Revelation 5.8 says your prayers and your worship are incense that are being caught in a bowl. Nothing's lost. Every prayer is heard. It's incense to him. Smelling in the nostrils of heaven. 
beauty, perfume. I was uh, struck by a little story I heard the other day of a little girl who'd been working, she's about 12, and she'd been working through the summer holidays and she'd got some birthday money and she'd assembled 70 pounds. And she came to the church and her father said to her, now honey, you know, we tied, so that'll be seven pounds in. And he looked down and she, he saw that she put all 70 in. He said, no, 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 do that. But it was too late, the bucket had gone. <laughs> he said, you shouldn't have done that. You put, it, you put it all in. She said, it's okay, daddy. If I need any more money, I'll just come to you. <laughs> <laughs> I like that because this represented her whole future it was all her savings it's okay daddy you're worth it all he's worth it all I'm not saying now just be stupid and <laughs> Just give everything away, although if God instructed you to do that, well, I guess you better do it. And it says that the perfume filled the whole room. I guess some of the brothers went home to their wives and they said, Hello, 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 where have you been? Got this, come here, let me smell you. We are the aroma of Christ but you can only get the aroma on your clothing. You need a daily dose of anointing. You need a daily outpouring. You need a daily love match with Jesus that pours out from the head to the foot. You smell me? Go on, dare you. I, I regret to tell you that sometimes I smell more like a farmyard than a perfumery. But I want to change. And God even commends our desires. It's better if we do it, but he likes even the thoughts. She just wasted it on him. In the same way, we are a prophetic sign for his second coming. The ointment of your life, the extravagance of your heart, and then it says, she washed or she wiped his feet with her hair. And I guess she had long hair to be able to do that. I used to have lovely, long, wavy hair. And then the tide went out. Hair, according to 1 Corinthians 15, sorry, 11 and verse 15, is talked of as the glory of the woman. The woman's glory is her hair. That's why hairdressers do so well in Ilford. Because ladies like to go and get their hair glorified. What does it mean? It means that Mary took everything which was her glory and she wiped it onto Jesus. Things maybe that she had accomplished. Or things that you're proud of. The things that you've assembled. The things in your mind. Your cleverness. Your achievements. She comes and she said, no, I, I want to glorify God. I want to glorify Jesus. And she comes and she says, all of my present. All of my present being is at your feet.
in worship to glorify him. So her past, her future, and her present, she's all in. I want very much, because I care for John and Dawn, and through them, you, I want very much that you will glorify Jesus to the maximum that his spirit will empower you. You know, if I had a very easy life, and I came to the end of it, measured in some obsequious way what it was worth, but you had a very difficult life, and you trusted Jesus through much pain and difficulty and adversity, who would get the most glory at the end? Who would have given the most glory at the end? The one that endured through the trial, I would say. Fix right now. Glorify Jesus with it. To you, to come forward, if you would like to, to pray. Maybe you'd like to bring your tear bottle today. All of the past. Pour it on Jesus. And in the doing of that, I guess Mary found some real healing. She just poured it out and letting it all go. Pressing delete on my past. And through it, I'm actually worshipping you through my tears. Some of you might like to do that this morning. Just come, simply stand. Or there is my tear bottle, Jesus. Or it might be the ointment of your heart, your whole future. And you're saying, God, here I am, 25 years old, I'm 80 or 90. I want to give it all to you in faith. I want to be the fragrance of God wherever you send me. Whatever I do, I want it to bring a fragrance to you. And therefore, I'm committing my future to you.